This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to the top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. Good morning, you're listening to the best of The Breakfast Grill for 2022. I'm Shazana Mokhtar. Today's retrospective focuses on some of the major political developments that shaped public discourse throughout the year. The first quarter was dominated by the political comeback of Barisa National. AMNO and their allies secured a landslide victory in the Johor State elections in March, in contrast with the heavy losses suffered by Pakatan Harapan. Was voter sentiment for the opposition soured by the MOU that was signed between the government and Pakatan Harapan in 2021? I discussed this with Subang MP Wong Chen and political scientist Dr. Wong Chin Huat in March. Wong Chen, when we spoke to you the day after the MOU was first signed, you sounded confident that this deal was the right thing to do in order to achieve the political reforms that Pakatan Harpan wanted. Two state elections later, after PH was trounced by a resurgent Barisan National in both Malacca and Johor, was this MOU a mistake for PH and PKR? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, that's the issue about public perception about the MOU. It doesn't help when some of the opposition uh, parties uh, are sending the wrong understanding of the MOU to the public, you know, saying that the MOU doesn't help the country or that. I mean, it's very difficult when you do a deal with the government to carry out reforms and to to then, uh, you know, spread this news or, or convince people because public perception is a big problem. In Malaysia, we got all these keyboard warriors, right? You know, and they just want us to fight all the time. And sure, we can fight when there's no pandemic, when there's no economic crisis. Let's fight. I mean, for all you know, I'm all in favor of all-out fighting. But the country needs reforms, and it needs fundamental reforms in the system. It needs fundamental reform in trying to get a national recovery on the economy, and it needs a pandemic uh, 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 to tackle the pandemic issue. So I, I don't think, even though whether this public perception has uh, converted into some sort of negative uh, uh, election result for us, I don't think it's a big factor, to be serious. I don't think the MOU is a big factor, right? Uh, it's, it's, the, it's the political unhappiness about other things that causes the electoral loss. I think one of the things that we that wasn't mentioned is that many actually view the MOU as a selling out or that Pakatan Harapan was giving up its principles, you know, for political survival in a way, you know, try to postpone that uh, GE15. Um, I want to know why there's such a mismatch between the message Pakatan Harapan uh, thinks it's sending out versus what's being received by the public. Why this miscommunication in intentions? Okay, can I just add before Chin Huan jumps in, I'm sure he has his views, but... Uh... Essentially, when we talk about public perception, are we talking about the, the you know, the, the 2%, right? Or are we talking about the 60%, the economic voters, who hates politics, who hates politicians, who just wants to see the country recover from the pandemic? So public perception out there, the keyboard warriors, those that, you know, they are very, very critical, which is ironic because they want reform and we deliver reform and they're not happy. <laughs> I don't understand what they want. So right? you so you think that public perception is sort of being held a host, not well, you know it's being dominated by the very noisy minority is that it? Yes, and also they're supposed to be the intellectual class, and yet from time to time I see their comments and they don't actually read the MOU. I mean there are lawyers in there. I mean I just don't understand what's going on. But there are of course very populist anger feelings against the government, and this is conflated into the MOU issue. 
for say 60% of the economic voters or the fence sitters, and they're just happy the political temperatures dropped. And to be fair, the young Lipotuan Ago was absolutely correct. We have to stop quarreling, right? We have a pandemic, we have an economic crisis. So I, I, I really, I, I, can't, I can't stress that, the, the, you know, sometimes I feel really angry and sad that uh, these people don't see beyond uh, their personal anger and what they expect politicians to do uh, in times of, of uh, a national crisis. Uh, the discontent against this MOU is not actually just limited to these keyboard warriors and so on, but also some PH leaders. The reason being is they are used to a particular type of politics that is all about good versus evil. So when you talk about MOU, you transform politics from warlike ugliness into spotlight decency. You can compete but you don't have to win all and you don't have to lose all. And many opposition leaders and supporters cannot see themselves in this new paradigm. They feel themselves at loss when you talk about policy competition. Uh, those who don't do homework would find that they have no role to play. So they prefer to have a charging into the battlefield and kill as many people as possible. And that's really something we need to overcome. But I completely agree with Wang Chen that today you have to deal with people who get fed up with politics. The biggest party that PH or others should steal words from is not each other, but Tamu, Party Akumala Sundi. That was political scientist Dr. Wang Chen Huat, as well as Subang MP and PKR member Wang Chen. Now, one of the major outcomes of the MOU was the work put in to enact an anti-party hopping law. The consultation process with political parties was no easy task, as explained by Datuk Sri Azalina Othman in our April interview. I think one of the biggest challenges is uh, a lot of uh, senior politicians, if I may, may, may assume, are a bit reluctant on the bill for various reasons. Number one, they may be reluctant. Number two, they want the bill, but they're very worried about the outcome if the bill is being created. Now, okay, because, you know, if you look at all my literature when I've been writing a lot of uh, online media, you can see that I have explained and explored the many kinds of hopping. Yes. So you must you must understand the hopping can be willfully, whereby you hop because you just, for personal gain, personal promotion, or you can hop because your whole party is moving. Is that considered a, a colony hop? You know, frogs jump together. It's a colony hop. Or you are being in a situation of constructive dismissal. The party doesn't like you. Creates a lot of problem for you. So in the end, you have to leave. So do you, do you blame that person because he or she have to leave? And then lastly, you have a situation of independent MPs who came in freely. So those are the scenarios la, that, that I think politicians are looking at the interpretation. Yeah. So it's not because there's a resistance to it in the sense that, you know, all parties, and I'll be honest, all parties have in some form or another been a beneficiary of MPs switching camps. I mean, state and even federal governments have changed because of what we call these frogs. Do you think that's the reason the resistance comes? You know, you, you know Wong, one thing about law, uh, and you must understand law, it always depends on who's interpreting it. And, and if you look at politicians or political party, of course, they don't want to be controlled. Why would you want someone to tell you what you and you can cannot do? Mm. But for the voters, the rakyat, you would want your MP to stay on because for you, I voted you to service me. 
Suddenly, after you win and all the hard work, canvassing for vote, all the volunteers on the ground, posters going up here, there and everywhere, and you decide to walk away. I'm like, at the end of the day, my emphasization here mm. is about the voters, the betrayal of the voters. That's it. That was Datuk Sri Azalina Uthman, who spoke to Wong Xiaoning in April. The anti-party hopping law was finally passed in July and came into force on October 5th. On the 23rd of August, Datuk Sri Najib Razak became the first former prime minister to be imprisoned for corruption charges. The federal court upheld his conviction and sentence in the long-running SRC international trial. The day after the decision, Wang Xiaoning reflected on the outcome of the court case with business commentator P. Gunasegaram and criminal lawyer Go Chia Yi. Uh, Chai, maybe a little bit unfair, but before this, many quarters of Malaysians actually never really believed that a former Prime Minister of Malaysia would actually serve jail time. So is this, from your perspective, really a resounding affirmation that the Malaysian legal system, its warts and all, works from the prosecutors to the judge at the High Court and then finally at the Federal Court? I think it just shows that it works sometimes. I mean, from my experience, sometimes it doesn't. I don't think we can have an illusion here that it works all the time, having seen the decision yesterday. Maybe perhaps because the public eye was on the decision yesterday, that's why it works. But sometimes when nobody is watching, whether it works or not, is a question that we really have to consider. I think when in 2020, what happened with the change of government, once again, I think that kind of shattered our faith in our democracy a bit. 2018 restored it, but um, seeing now that uh, that their votes did matter in some sense because uh, because of those votes, we managed to get a panel of judges which we would think is one of the strongest that we have uh, in history. And this panel of judges has resulted in conviction of a person which many feel really has con- committed the offence which she has been charged with. So I think definitely the faith in judiciary has been restored yesterday. And I think we need to continue this because the system only works with us believing in it. Laws only work because we believe it governs us. And the moment we stop believing in it, that's when everything crumbles. So I think it's a good thing um, for the decision yesterday. It really affirmed what the public felt. And I, I, I think that this uh, should be kept going forward. Yeah, if I may add, uh, I, think, I think if you look at a case, it, it has many elements to it. The first part of it is investigation. And then after that is the prosecution by the, by the Attorney General itself. So, and then finally, when it is brought up to the courts, then, then, uh, then you have a decision on whether the person is guilty or not. So, it, 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 several processes have got to be done for this to come up to the public. So, it is important that we also have independence of investigation and independence of prosecution. If not, the justice system will still fail if you, even if you have a, a, a truly fair and independent judiciary. See? Mm. There, are three, there are three parts of the system which have to be independent at the same time. And that's what we should be working towards. Uh, but at the same time, Guna, what's the main message here? I mean, when we think about it, do we have a political system, an executive branch that actually allowed corruption of this level to happen? I mean, how do we get to this point in history? I think basically it was simply a lack of checks and balances. You have a system where the uh, where the MACC chief is appointed basically by the PM and can be removed at the discretion of the PM, as Najib famously did mm. with the last. Uh, in, uh, and the same applies to the Attorney General. And the Attorney General has got sole discretion to prosecute or not to prosecute under the Constitution. And uh, so uh, the, 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 it is vital that the 
attorney general be independent. Other, otherwise, the, the process of bringing people to the courts will be will be scuttled. You know? So those are the those are the things that we have to consider in the effort to make changes. Now, so at the end of it, you know, how do you change all of this? Basically, it's changing the government. You know. So be careful who you vote for, I suppose, is the lesson. You know, if you know that somebody is corrupt, don't vote for the person. So vote in the people who can make the changes which are necessary to make the country progress, you know, including eliminating corruption. That was P. Gunasegaram, author of the book 1MDB, The Scandal That Brought Down a Government, and criminal lawyer Go Chiayi. Coming up next on The Best of the Breakfast Grill, famous last words of politicians before GE15. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. BFM 89.9, I'm Shazana Mokhtar, and this is The Best of The Breakfast Grill 2022, where we're looking back on major political developments of the year. The decision by then-Prime Minister Datuk Sri Ismail Sabri to hold GE15 on November 19th was an unpopular one, given the fears of monsoon flooding. Said Sadiq, founder and president of the Malaysian United Democratic Alliance, or MUDA, summarised the public outrage that was felt shortly before the dissolution of parliament. Now, the drumbeats for GE15 are the loudest that it's been. Uh, we've seen a lot of signals from this week. We're bracing for the dissolution of parliament. What's the timeline that you're currently working with in terms of preparing for the elections? So initially, we thought that the leaders in Putrajaya would at least have a stomach to not dissolve and call for elections in the midst of floods. But um, after looking what has happened in the last week, I think most likely they're very keen to have elections during flooding season. So we must expect an election in the next week or two. Um, and to me, this is truly terrifying, right? It's like these leaders didn't even realise what happened last year. More than 50 people lost their lives, more than 50,000 houses affected. Directly and indirectly, more than half a million of Malaysians uh, uh, were badly affected because of floods last year. And it is expected because of climate change, this year's floods would actually be much, much worse. So can you imagine holding an election during flooding season and expect for politicians and ministers to focus on flood relief instead of winning votes. So to me, that's truly tragic, horrifying um, and really unconscionable of those in power to even think of it. It's quite convenient for the opposition, no, if they do that, because you have very strong um, talking points against this move. I would think that by them doing this, it would put you guys in a much better light uh, going into the elections. Talking points do not save lives. Um, and this is not the time to think of political convenience. Uh, because if anything, um, me and my colleagues were on the ground almost every day last year during flood season. And we witnessed how horrifying it was. In Pahang, you're not just looking at normal floods. You're looking at Banjir Bala. I mean, huge tree trunks sweeping away houses, like destroyed, concrete houses destroyed. You saw what happened in Taman Sri Muda, right? Where the response was very late. And in the end, there were people stuck who died on their own, uh, on their bed, in their respective houses because no one could attend to them. And these are serious issues, you know. Even one loss in life uh, will be in the hands of those in power. Um, so this is not about political convenience. This is about lives of people. That was President of Muda Said Sadiq. One of the star contenders in GE15 was former Health Minister Kairi Jamaluddin, who gave up his incumbent Rumbau seat to contest in the PH stronghold of Sungai Buloh. With the odds stacked against him, Kairi spoke to Wong Xiaoning before polling day on his ambition to lead reform in UMNO. 
you want to bring changes to UMNO. You described it as sesat. Now, what do you mean by that choice of words, Kari? I think that the party needs to go through rejuvenation and renewal as well. And uh, I've been very open in my support for Ismail Sabri mm-hmm. as the next Prime Minister of Malaysia. He's the sitting uh, caretaker Prime Minister. I want him to come back. And I think that we'll see a changing of the guard at the top. Ismail, Hisham, myself, um, we are quite firm in where we want to take Amno. Uh, to make sure that our image is restored uh, from the past few years. So is this an acknowledgement that AMNO is a party tainted by corrup- corruption? I mean, we do have a leader that is in jail at the moment and the president of a party that's facing a total of 87 corruption charges? I mean... Many parties have leaders who are tainted by cases. It's but not let's just talk about no, no, no. Yeah, I, let, let me just put that out there mm. first. Okay, it's not a monopoly of Amno, but at the same time, of course, these are facts that you cannot deny. Our past uh, president has been convicted uh, mm. and is in jail, and of course, our sitting president is uh, facing court cases um, of his own. It's very important for Amno leaders like myself. Uh, to openly state that um, when we win the election, there will be no interference in the judicial process. We don't want to be known as uh, other parties who have dropped cases uh, involving their leaders. And that's important. And I've told Ismail Sabri that that must be our position when we're back in power, just as it was before when he did not interfere in the judicial process or even think about it. Okay, but if that's the case, can we then afford to wait for you to be Prime Minister in, what, 10, 15 years in the meantime? Well, you're what shifting is it. The... I just said 5 to 10 years. Now you're okay. saying 10 to 15 Let's years. Let's say 5 to 10 years. <laughs> what is the potential damage a Sussat party can do to no, the country no, no, then? No, no, no. Look, the, the, let, me cl- let me clarify um, the remark I made. It's not the party. Mm. The party, I believe, this is my party, which I've been with for more than two decades. It's a good party made up of good people. However, of course, there are some leaders who we feel need to give way. And um, I believe that this will happen in the next couple of years. We're not even talking about five to ten years. We know that there will be a party election right after, right after the general election. And that's where you have these new crop of leaders, not Mm -hmm. just myself, but the likes of Sharil Hamdan, uh, Karel Azwan, Uh, all these new candidates who are coming through, I want to see them winning places in their divisions. I want to see them uh, replacing uh, some of these uh, entrenched uh, leaders, uh, older leaders, uh, to show that Amno is changing. So this is not going to be a five, ten-year project. It's going to happen right after the election. And I've told Ismail Sabri, I said, you know, we want you to be prime minister and then we want you to lead the party. So does this mean that uh, Ismail Sabri is going to run for president of If he becomes prime minister, when he becomes prime minister... Um, after this weekend, he must lead the party. Okay. There must not be a dichotomy anymore between the president of the party and the leader of the government. And he, it's very clear that he is the prime minister candidate for us. But what happens if he loses? Then this reform agenda of yours within AMNO will it come to a, a, I mean, a full stop? What happens if anyone loses? Yeah. I mean, that's hypothetical that we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But look, even if we suffer electoral setbacks, the the, the goal of reform, rejuvenation and the change of guard, that, that must continue. And, and that realisation is there in the party, yeah. But I wonder whether this is just a clever tactic of yours, Kairi. Strategy to overcome the fact that Harapan has one clear message, this GE15. 
And that is, they have been saying that a vote for BN is a vote for Zahid. And by you saying that you want to be Prime Minister and you are a reformist, is a clever message to counter this? It's not a message, Shaoning. I want to be the Prime Minister of this country. And I think that uh, at the right time, um, I can step up and become the Prime Minister of this country. So it's not just rhetoric for the voters of Sungai Buloh, which is a Pakatan Harapan stronghold. I Zahid mean... is not contesting in Sungai Buloh. I'm contesting in Sungai Buloh. And as much as uh, my opponent is also saying one vote for him is one mm. vote for Anwar, this has got nothing to do with Sungai Buloh. Sungai Buloh is about uh, KJ running in Sungai Buloh. And I want to bring the changes to Sungai Buloh. Zahid's not running. And Ismail Sabri is our Prime Minister candidate. And one day... I want to be the Prime Minister candidate from Sungai Buloh, not so far down the future. That was former Health Minister Kari Jamaluddin. The final outcome of GE15 was in limbo for days before Datuk Sri Anwar Ibrahim was sworn in as the 10th Prime Minister and a unity government comprising Pakatan Harapan, Barisan Nasional, Gabungan Parti Sarawak and Gabungan Rakyat Sabah was formed. On the other side of the aisle is Perikatan National, who won 74 seats and initially seemed likely to form a government with GPS and GRS in the aftermath of the elections. However, public uproar over racial and religious rhetoric on social media by PN supporters spooked East Malaysian parties into a U-turn. Persatu Youth Chief and MP for Machang, Wan Ahmad Faisal, rebutted allegations that the coalition would not represent the rights of multiracial Malaysians. When it comes to economic development, preserve their identity, tradition, religion. Everyone has their place in, in Malaysia. Everyone has their, their, their place in Malaysia. So I don't see um, we from mm. Brigadier National violated that. You can check our constitution. Okay. So you would say that PN is a coalition that represents all Malaysians, yeah. 100%. We would love to get more supports from non-Malay and non-Muslim uh, political base. I think that's our major aim for the next five years to prove to all Malaysians that we are not far right. Okay, but then I'm confused because, you know, uh, what you say about these racial religious rhetoric that isn't, of course, new to general elections, but was amplified via social media. We did see, you know, a lot of TikTok videos that warned of repeat of May 13 invoking unnecessary fear. Do you vehemently oppose such social media posts? Oh yeah, of course. As a former Deputy Minister of National Unity, mm. I abhor that. Okay, so if you find or it is found that any PN supporters are behind this fear-mongering and also illegal posts, I mean, would you definitely put your foot yeah, down and we, say this is against what PN stands for? We took an immediate and decisive action against any campaigner during the election who made such uh, vulgar remarks on, on among Muslims. For example, there was a Ustaz in Kedah who said that wh- whoever did not vote for pre- PN, mm. they are bound for hell. So we remove him from the party. Okay. Mm. But at the same time, right, PAS, major coalition partner to PN, hasn't always seemed to sing that same tune. In August this year, PAS President Tan Sri Hadi Awang stated that non-Muslims and non-Bumi Puchas were at the root of corruption and then accused DAP of promoting Islamophobia and preventing PAS from being in power. And throughout all these accusations, PAS has been quiet. Why? Hmm. Well, I think they made that remark based on a certain academic study. I think that's a very broad generalisation, yeah, right? right? And I personally disagree with that kind of uh, 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 generalization. So I want to know why doesn't Persatu say anything when past leader makes these statements which are inflammatory mm. and also not true? 
We did discuss in the meetings, of course, and mm. of course, Bersatu being one of being one of the components in Perikatan National, we tried our best to uh, moderate things, yeah, so that at least the people out there know that in Perikatan National, we are all for building a multiracial nation. Despite statements like this coming from past. Yeah, I mean, we corrected them in, in the meeting. But not publicly. Well, here I am <laughs> to, to say things that should be said earlier by, by our leaders. Yeah. That was Bersatu Youth Chief and MP for Machang, Wan Ahmad Faisal, speaking to Wong Xiaoning earlier this month. That brings us to the end of today's retrospective on Malaysian politics in 2022. You can listen to all the conversations featured today via podcast on the BFM app or on our website, bfm.my. This has been the best of The Breakfast Grill, BFM 89.9. The BFM Breakfast Grill is brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.